0: Welcome to the mini break, your dailies. Podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Friday, October 9th. The finals for the year's third and final Grand Slam, the 2020 French Open, are finally set. It's going to be Iga Swiatek taking on Sofia Kennan in the women's final, and then, of course, Rafael Nadal taking on Novak Djokovic in the men's final. What we're going to be doing on today's podcast, talking about how we got there, we're going to recap today's men's semifinal matches. We're going to preview tomorrow's women's final matches if we have time at the end of course I will throw my aces of the day at my co-host for today's podcast and of course you all know him as he has been joining me throughout these past six weeks of tennis he is our crack rackets do everything a former Denison men's tennis great the forefather of the forehand slice and of course the only undefeated high school tennis coach in Missouri state history James Foster McDonald Jamie Rafael Nadal versus Novak Djokovic. I know you love to see that.
1: Uh, hey, who saw it coming, right? Uh, completely out of nowhere. No, hey, look, we, we had at least had a, half of an interesting journey today. So excited to be able to hop on and, and talk through that one with you. But yeah, at the end of the day, right? Nadal and Djokovic get through their halves of the draw. And there they are squaring off in a major final once again.
0: Yeah, it's amazing. We saw so many upsets, right? So much drama on the women's side. On the men's side, it's exactly as scripted. Rafael Nadal versus Novak Djokovic. It's Matt Stokowiak's heaven, and of course, we will preview that match on tomorrow's podcast, but as you mentioned, we're going to talk about today how those two got to the final, how they looked in their semifinal victories, and then of course, we will preview preview tomorrow's final match of course the reason we were able to do this day in day out here on the mini break podcast because of the support we get not just from our sponsors at Midwest Sports and Aero Bar but of course from our Patreon subscribers for whom uh, we are constantly in debt your never ending support not only financially but just again you support all of our projects all of our different endeavors we try to be creative sometimes we do some goofy things you all stick with us we're so appreciative of that and if you would like to join our Patreon family Be sure to go to Patreon.com, search Cracked Rackets. Of course, if you have any tennis equipment needs, turn to our friends at Midwest Sports, Dave Limke of Midwest Sports, joining me on the Great Shot podcast on Friday uh, to talk about the latest in equipment uh, development, the latest things you should be doing as we change seasons to make sure your equipment allows you your optimum performance on the court. And of course, if you have any further questions, contact our friends at Midwest Sports or just go to MidwestSports.com. Use our promo code CR15. You'll get 15% off your order free. Two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. And then, of course, best of all, that free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls Midwest Sports wanting to ensure you have everything you need to make your return to the court a success. So go to MidwestSports.com. Use that promo code CR15. Of course, if you have any nutritional needs, you're looking for that extra boost on the court. And I know Jamie McDonald, you're going to be looking for that extra boost as you play a little bit of singles action this week. But know that you listeners can turn to our friends at Aerobar, the only tennis-specific energy bar in the business, more potassium than a banana. It's not going to melt in your bag. And of course, it comes in delicious cinnamon, honey, oat, and chocolate chip flavors. Jamie, I feel like you're a two Aerobar a match sort of guy.
1: I know. Uh, My stockpile has been depleted, though, so I need to replenish (laughs) on those, and unfortunately, probably not going to get them in time before um, I have to square off in that match tomorrow, so a little nervous for that one, but yeah, regardless, looking forward to it.
0: Yeah. Well, when Jamie goes to replenish his stock, he will go to com. You listeners can as well. You use our promo code CRACKED15. You'll get 15% off your order. Let them know that we sent you there. Of course, we are so uh, enjoying our work- continued partnership with Aerobar. The least we can do, ask you to go support them. So com. that promo code is CRACKED15. All right. With that in mind, Jamie, let's get to our match breakdowns. And You know, it's glass half empty, glass half full when you look at this part of of the tournament, right? The glass half full part, you know, now is where the money is made. Now we get to see who's going to emerge as champion, who's got the gravitas, who can rise to the occasion to become a Grand Slam champion. Of course, you also feel the lull. I'm going to do today's outline. I'm like, I don't even need to do one. There's three matches. It's like two results we have to look at. You can literally remember the eight set scores without having to even look at it on your computer. Uh, but of course, that allows us to break down both matches in depth. And so let's start chronological Logically, with our number two seed but the guy of course who reaches his 13th french open final with his victory today rafael nadal taking a straight set win 6-3 6-3 7-6 over diego schwartzman jamie when you look at this match obviously coming into it the noise uh, that all of us were one or the noise i should say the storyline that all of us were following schwartzman beat nadal two and five in rome two weeks prior to this french open of course uh It was his first victory over Nadal in his career, and you look back in time, only Novak Djokovic has ever beaten Rafael Nadal consecutively in back-to-back clay court events, so it was going to be a tall task for Diego Schwartzman, but of course, that first set in our five minutes, 6-3, just because this match was straight sets, that does not, I think, indicate how close of a match it actually was.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, it was a battle. And from the very start, I mean, that was one of the great things from Diego Schwartzman is he sent the message that this was going to be a fight, right? You know, Nadal was absolutely not going to come in here and just waltz over him. I mean, he lasted out there over three hours. So that in and of itself is, you know, an accomplished feat for Schwartzman, though. I mean, look, he had break chances um, and those early games were really dicey in the first set. And so it sort of set the tone. So that was a really promising thing. Obviously, Nadal throughout this match just really separated himself, did some phenomenal stuff on the offensive side of his game, and, and closed the match out with a 7-0 tiebreak. But really good stuff from start to finish, and Diego Schwartzman, you know, doesn't have much to hang his head about on this one.
0: No, look in the you know Diego Schwartzman wanted to make this match as physical as possible, and in the rallies that went over nine shots, he had an advantage, thirty four to thirty three. But for Rafael Nadal, it's just how freaking disciplined he is on the clay, and he knows exactly what he wants to go into. And again, I always hate plugging my own tweets, but I did tweet this out earlier. So just so listeners, if you've heard this before, I apologize. But you know exactly what Rafael Nadal is going to do. If he's playing a righty, he's going to take that backhand up the line. He's going to try and bait you into hitting to his forehand side. And his bet is once he hits one forehand, he's going to be able to hit a second forehand, a third forehand, open up the court for himself, take advantage of the space. And now in this stage of his career, move forward. And that's exactly what he does on the rallies that win. 0 to 4 shots he had a 42 to 27 advantage on the rallies that went 5 to 8 shots he had a 38 to 25 advantage he was just able to get into his plays into his uh patterns much more so than he was in Rome and again credit to Diego Schwartzman who kept making that extra ball who you know 48 unforced errors in this match fine but you have to push the envelope if you're playing Rafael Nadal but Rafa just he was so disciplined he made 69% of his first serves he won 68% of his first serves points. He goes 17 of 24, 71% at the net. 38 winners against 34 unforced errors, no double faults, 53% win percentage on the second serve, 6 of 9 on break point chances. I mean, he's gotten better and better as this tournament's progressed. And, you know, this isn't the first time he'll make a Grand Slam final here at the French without dropping a set. I do think in terms of his, how impressive he's been, this is probably the least impressed I've been by a Rafa that, Rafa that hasn't dropped a that but it just it's the institutional know-how he shows up at Roland Garros and it's just like this is what I do here and it works
1: yeah and look by no means did Nadal blow Schwartzman away right I mean Schwartzman had 12 breakpoint opportunities yeah Nadal did a phenomenal job of saving nine of those but again Schwartzman was in this match right I mean he really was Mm -hmm. all the way till the end and Nadal just happened to run away and, and play a phenomenal tie break and look, it's Raphael Nadal at the French, right? So we knew this wasn't going to be, you know, a, a, a mere image of what we saw in Rome. I mean, obviously that gave Schwartzman some confidence, and and I think that allowed him to play a little bit more freely and, and have that behind him, but... Regardless, Nadal did really well. And, and something I want to focus in on, too, and this is this is the great part about talking about these matches, is we were both able to watch both of these from start to finish, right? And so we don't often get to do that about the matches that were breaking down, uh, especially in a major in those first and second rounds. So to me, the one thing that I consistently saw that Nadal did that I wish Sitsipas had did in his match against Djokovic Nadal just did such a phenomenal job of keeping things... He he just kept so much variety on the backhand side. Nadal, you saw him roll those high heavies down the line to the Schwartzman backhand. He ripped them cross-court. He used his slice really effectively... I mean, he was just a jack of all trades on that side. Obviously, once he got the forehand, he ripped that, as we all know, as his trademark. But the backhand was the most impressive for me. And he's going to have to keep that in mind because against Djokovic, he's going to have to rip it cross court, rip it down the line, roll one down the line, slice when it's necessary. So that, to me, was the most promising thing out of him.
0: And I thought this was a little thing as well, but the court positioning difference from Nadal in this match versus the last match, you know, Schwartzman, his tactic because Nadal obviously hit such a heavy forehand that Diego Schwartzman, you know, if you're being generous, is five foot six. He takes that ball early, right? He tries to short hop it, drive through it, absorb Rafa's spin, and then just kind of, you know, bunt back it flat, use that spin and, you know, that's enough spin on the shot. Schwartzman then can just drive it for depth. Um, but I thought the little adjustment Rafa made today was taking that next ball a little bit earlier and as you mentioned changing direction or changing pace with it so if he's going forehand cross court to the Schwartzman backhand it was taking that forehand down the line that much earlier on the backhand side you're right it was playing with slice not just down the line but cross court as well playing his slice to the Schwartzman forehand not being afraid of that exchange not that Rafael Nadal is afraid of anything on a clay court but then again it's just how effective he is taking time and space away from you now he's just so in control of every aspect of the game uh, on a clay court and it's just why he's such a tough out right I mean Schwartzman 3 of 12 on break chances versus Rafa 6 of 9 of course Schwartzman had chances but Rafa 6 of 9 on break point chances is just ridiculous
1: yeah, and it's very similar to what we saw at least in the first couple of sets of Djokovic against Sitsipas, right? Where Sitsipas was the Schwartzman in this case. He was creating break opportunities for himself but couldn't really convert convert effectively. Nadal being the Djokovic, Djokovic was converting on pretty much every break point he saw. And so he did a great job of taking his opportunities in this one. I think Nadal did a great job of setting himself up offensively. Obviously, he attacked the second serve of Schwartzman. That's not unexpected, right? That's exactly what we thought he would do coming into this to create some offense on those return points. I mean, just a really solid performance. You know, there was nothing, you know, too terribly breathtaking. I mean, yeah, you have some typical Nadal points where you're like, wow, can't believe he pulled that out. But, I mean, you mentioned it right at the beginning. It's probably the least, like, impressive in terms of just raw, like, holy crap Nadal that we've seen, you know, moving through as an un- as an without dropping a set. But now he's got Djokovic. And I, I don't know. I we can talk about Djokovic-Nadal, you know, the 900th episode of them meeting all we want, but realistically, Nadal still comes in without dropping a set, and he's just played cleanly. Even when he's in a little bit of trouble, even when Schwartzman did get those breaks, Nadal breaks back, and he's right there and patient. And so just overall a really good performance, and now he's got to be feeling really fresh moving into the finals.
0: No, I, I completely agree with you. I would only and you know, you know, to your point, we will talk more about the history of Nadal Djokovic, what those matchups look like, what they look like on clay specifically, how frequently they've happened, et cetera, et cetera tomorrow. But it's worth repeating. And you know, shout out to whomever on the French Open social media team did the "Rafa's got 99 problems, the French Open ain't one" tweet because he's now 99 and two at this event. It's his 13th final at Roland Garros. He's now 13 and 0 in Roland Garros semifinals. It's all just, it's all one big joke, and we're all just along for the ride. And hopefully, you're enjoying it along with us because I I feel comfortable saying this with all due respect to every fantastic tennis player who will who's playing right now who will play at some point in tennis's history I I don't think we're ever going to see this again and so enjoy it while it lasts because Rafa at at Roland Garros is just special
1: yeah I mean it's it's just outrageous there's no other way to put it even even any of the other greats who've had phenomenal resumes at different majors in their tournaments of choice I mean nothing touches the magnitude of this so long live the king of play right
0: Exactly, not Jordan, not Phelps, not, uh, maybe Phelps at the Olympics. But anyways, yes, that, it, it's an incredible performance for Rafa. And of course, now he gets the ultimate test. He gets Novak Djokovic in a three out of five set match. Djokovic today surviving a five setter against young Stefano Tsitsipas in this match. Novak Djokovic ends up taking, again, uh, he's up two sets to love. He has a match point to close out the match in the third set. But ultimately, Tsitsipas able to flip the script. Still, Djokovic 6-3, 6-2, 5 7, 4, 6, 6, 1 to take this one. I don't know. Again, credit to Tsitsipas. One could argue that Tsitsipas probably should have actually won the first set. Djokovic should have actually won the third set. But ultimately, five sets felt about right in this one.
1: Yeah, I mean and and I think there was absolutely a point in, in this match where things just started to change tactically for Sitsipas. Um, there was some speculation too, because I don't know if he got this. He got a he got a coaching violation warning. And so you wonder if there was actually anything tactically that he garnered and then tried to use because <clears throat> timing-wise it roughly added up. But no, I mean let's let's yeah let's take this starting in set one. You mentioned that Sitsipas probably should have won it. He has bre- he has five break points converts zero of them. Djokovic has one shot at a break and converts it right. And so look that that's what Djokovic has made a living off of doing. He, you know he keeps things close even though he's not playing his best. As soon as he has an opportunity, he strikes. And that's what he did. So I, I'm okay with Djokovic walking away with that first set. To me, though, the Sitsipas backhand was just kind of an issue from the start. And, and you know, it's not surprising when you talk about Djokovic having the best backhand in the men's game that we've seen versus a one-hander. You're going to be talking about things that could potentially be troubling, right? You know, we all know that the backhand to backhand exchange is not one that Sitsipas wanted to play in this one, and. To me, Tsitsipas just didn't do enough. I talked about the variety that Nadal used, and to me... Stefanos just didn't do that enough. He was really way too content just rolling balls cross-court to the Djokovic backhand and then Djokovic dictating, and Tsitsipas needed to do something else, right? He needed to use the slice more effectively. He needed to start going up the line with some conviction, and and that's the funny part is that's when the flip switched, is when Tsitsipas started actually taking his backhand up the line, he was able to throw Djokovic off guard, right? He was was taking the balls a little bit earlier. He wasn't allowing Djokovic to just cheat over and get ready for those backhand-to-backhand passes patterns and that's when he was able to overtake Djokovic in the third get it 7-5 and really sort of reset things because then from there it looked like Djokovic was a bit on his heels but regardless Djokovic comes back and you know plays the games he does and wins 6-1 in the fifth so it is what it is.
0: Yeah, flip switch, switch flip. Hey, great shot. Anyways, um, yeah, you, you know what was so surprising? You look at the stats in this one, and it's lopsided because in that third set, Djokovic end, or fifth set, Djokovic ends up going plus seven. But for Djokovic to have a plus twenty advantage in the you know zero to four shot rallies, that surprises me because I actually thought Stefano Tsitsipas did a really good job, especially in those first four sets. And you can throw out that fifth set; you could just see Tsitsipas didn't have much left in the tank, Djokovic, as he so frequently does, able to summon that another gear in the fifth to take that 6-1 set. But, you know, it's it's an easy comparison to make to say pass with the forehand, the way he has the one-handed backhand, the way he wants to attack, he plays like Federer. It's not that direct of a comparison, but we've seen Federer have success against Novak Djokovic simply because there's a hubris about Roger Federer where it's like, look, I don't give a sh- who you are. I play my game. I'm Roger Federer. I go for my shots, and if I make it, it doesn't matter who you are. I win, and that's why he can beat Novak because on his best days, he is Roger freaking Federer, and I think Tsitsipas had that quality about him today where especially in that first set, second set, third set, he was just like, you know what? I'm going to unload that forehand. I'm going to go big. I'm going to, you know, go down the line. I'm going to change direction particularly. Again, he did it more on the forehand wing than the backhand to your point, but, you know, you look in this match, Tsitsipas, 24 of 41 at the net. He was putting pressure on Djokovic, and, you know, 52 winners against 56 unforced errors for Djokovic. He's had 56 winners against 50 unforced errors. Tsitsipas kept the pressure on Novak, and, you know, whenever Novak turns to the drop shots, it means he's got to make things ugly. He's got to start making the match improvised, and that's because Tsitsipas, in the standard point, was just driving through the ball, was, you know fairly unfazed by the pace and the depth of Novak Djokovic or at least unfazed enough to where he still created opportunities for himself. Now there were a lot of, you know, overcooked forehands on those break points in the first set and a lot of things when Tsitsipas goes back and watches this match be like, "Oh, if I make that ball, it's a different match." And that's a credit though to his level. I thought that's a credit to the pressure he was putting on Novak.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, Tsitsipas did a good job of creating pressure, I think. I think you said it well. There, again, we we don't have to go too granular here. I think there are some other ways that Sitzipas could do that, and you know he's going to go back to his coaching staff and his camp, and they're going to have some more ideas for the inevitable next time that these guys have a showdown. Well, like quickly, this.
0: not not. I apologize to cut you off, but give me one of them because I know we talked about this off camera, and I thought you made a really good point about it that I would love for you to share again. Is the what the slice could do for Sitzipas from an offensive standpoint?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think. Look, I think there's a lot of ways that he could use it. For me, though, I mean, there's a couple things. First of all, the joke, anytime you can get Djokovic into a slice rally, you win because that is one of his weaker shots, especially relative to the two-hander that he would be hitting otherwise. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a big one. Second of all, using that slice, it's going to give Tsitsipas some more time. It's not going to give Djokovic the just clean, in his strike zone ball that he's going to be able to dictate on, which I think is really cool. I mean, especially for Tsitsipas, right? He's going to be able to actually do something effective. Also, I think he could have used it in a way that allows Djokovic to not get clean looks if he's approaching to the net, for example. I think Tsitsipas could have employed that a bit more um, I honestly don't know exactly what you're referencing, what I said off mic, though. So I guess I just talk too much about the slice.
0: <laughs> no, it's more just in general. Again, it's the the amount of time it buys him. It's the different look. Sure. It's the fact that, yeah, no, I, I completely agree with you there. And obviously in terms of his return of serve, that's something we've talked about before. But just, you know, to put on bow on this, because obviously, you know, for Novak Djokovic, he tracked down the extra ball. He's hitting the inside in forehand well when he's zoned in. He is hitting the drop shot well. He's moving well well he's doing all of his Novak things we all know what a Novak Djokovic victory looks like I will point out 30 of 40 at the net for him that's particularly good and he didn't have the overhead troubles today that sometimes sneak into his matches and again we'll preview Novak versus Rafa tomorrow but just to put a final bow on the Pass performance it's you know, Grand Slam semifinal number two for him. Uh, but in the last one he made, it was coming off of the next gen finals, right? He upset Federer to get to that semifinal. But this one just felt much more real. You know, this one, he held, he holds seed and then some, he's the number five seed. He beats Rublev in comfortable fashion. He comes off, you know, he has this performance coming off of the, the loss to Church where he blew the lead and had match points. He does it after he's up on Rublev in Hamburg, but blows that match. And I just, you could see it in Stefano Tsitsipas' body language on court. This was a huge moment in his young career.
1: Yeah, this is big. Um, and, And the fact that he was within striking distance as well, right? I think it's a really promising thing that, you know, staring down the gun of, you know, that match point and being down, you know, with his back completely against the wall and down two sets to love that he didn't just fold. Um, I mean, mm-hmm. I think that's something that he has that he can take with him that he's going to be able to build off of. And again, he's going to get to this stage many more times in his career. So now he's just got a little bit more experience to do it with. And yeah, I mean, realistically, he could have won, a, you know, come away winning this match. Like it would have it you know, taken a bit more um, endurance for him in that fifth set. But even to fight off and come up with winning two big sets in sets number three and four, I don't know it's a really positive it's a really positive result for me Um, and regardless again kind of like Schwartzman in this tournament you know Sitsipas isn't going to go away hanging his head or anything.
0: Yeah, it's awesome for, again, the young Greek player who was the youngest player to make a semifinal here at Roland Garros since Juan Martin Del Potro, which is obviously uh, a nice person to join uh, the company of. But those were our two semifinal matches. We'll talk about that final tomorrow next. I want to preview tomorrow's women's final because obviously it's rare that you get to see two 21-year-olds square off head-to-head in the final of a Grand Slam. Of course, you look in our matchup between 19-year-old Iga Fiontech and 21-year-old Sofia Kennan. The 2020 Australian Open champion has the chance to be the first player to win two women's singles grand slams in a season since Angelique Kerber did it in 2016. You look at this matchup, it's the first slam final between two 21-year-old and younger players since 2008 Australian Open. That was between Maria Sharapova and Anna Ivanovic. Again, these are the names you like to hear and then this is the first time since 2003 that both French Open finalists are under are 21 and under the two players in that instance, a 21-year-old Justine Ennin and a 20-year-old Kim Kleister. So when you look at this match, Jamie, uh, I'm going to ask you to make the case for Iga Sviantec. What does an Iga Sviantec win look like in this match?
1: Yeah, I mean, realistically, it looks like what she's been doing the entire tournament. I mean, I think that's why I still have confidence in her moving forward. You know, you and I talked off mic too about, you know, the potential for the yips and the moment to really get to her. But thus far, we've seen nothing right all the way, you know, from her first round to the last round and somewhere in the middle beating the hell out of Simona Halep. I mean, it's just been all completely on fire. Um, And so for me, I mean, I think she continues to do what she's been doing, right? She dictates play. She has, so many looks on the return of serve, which I think is going to hold true for Kennen, right? And so Kennen's going to be a lot of in a lot of trouble if she can't have easy holds, because for me, Svantec is going to be able to tee off on those serves pretty consistently. And so Kennen's going to have to hold her serve and make some sort of chinks in the armor in the Svantec one. For me, though, it's just the routine one that we've been seeing for Svantec throughout this entire tournament. I, I see it as a straight set win where she's simply outplaying her opponent. These courts are slow enough that they give her time to move effectively, and then use her high-powered offense to win points. And and I just, at this point, unless her level really drops, I don't see a way she loses this match.
0: Yeah, we've talked about it. Iga Świątek yet to drop a set in this tournament. Her closest set, a 6-4 set to C in the second round. I mean, again, 1-2 against Halep, 1-2 against Drusova, 3-1 against Trevisan, 2-1 against Podorowska. It's just how comfortable she's made each and every one of these wins look. It's a high percentage of first serves that sets up the serve plus one. Her ability to change direction, go down the line. Now, her and Melikar lost in the double semifinal, but all those double skills. You see them on the singles court. Her willingness. To move forward, to take time away uh, Which is obviously such an important thing to do When you're playing a clay court match And then, you know, the effectiveness of her serve I mean, she hits this massive kick And it's not necessarily an overwhelming power It's, you know, players can get their racket on it But it just sets up the plus one ball for her so well And, you know, she's been good off of both wings Is that forehand a little bit risky? Yes, and I compared it in a tweet to Kyle Edmonds forehand I think, you know, technically they look very similar but she doesn't she's not compromised in terms of pace and I think the heaviness of her ball is that much more effective on the clay and then again her backhand is probably the more consistent side and she can get incredible depth and pace on that wing and yeah just What is Sofia Kennan going to do to hurt her? That's the question because, you know, the Sviantech kick serve could bounce above Kennan's head, and then it's just plus one tennis versus Svantec, and we've seen what she can do when she's playing plus one ball this entire tournament. Now, of course, the flip side, what does a Sofia Kennan win look like? And it can't be, you know, overstated how impressive it is that a 21-year-old is going to make two slam finals in the same calendar year, that Sofia Kennan is not just going to make the final at the Australian Open, but she's going to back it up after losing 0-0 in the build-up to this event by making a final on a different surface uh, as the number four seed here. Again, an impressive path for Kennan. Four of her six matches go you know, go three sets. She gets a really impressive straight set win over Kvitova in the semifinals, and You know, for Kennan, it starts with the variety. It's the fact that even if plan A isn't going well, she can do so many different things on a court. And against Petra Kvitova, it was keeping the ball to the outer thirds. It was playing slice. It was the fact that, you know, I didn't count specifically, but I don't think there was a single point where she played a ball in the same direction more than two times in a row. She was so effective at keeping Kvitova off balance, keeping Kvitova out of her strike zone. And then, of course, you know, there are the inevitable nerves. Both of these players under 21 years, old, and Sophia kennan has been there before, and just, do you want to bet against a Grand Slam champion against a 19-year-old in another Grand Slam final? Like, on paper, you say no, and so, you know, Kennan has done so many things so well. The first serve is obviously going to be crucial for her, because if she's hitting second serves and Sviatek can hit big returns, then you're just in trouble, but you know, I think there was a stat, Kennan's broken two times more than she's been broken in this tournament, and she's just a scrapper. You never count Sophia Kennan out of a match. That being said, I don't know. Anything you would add to the Kennan case? No, I
1: think, you know, you covered a lot there. I would say, you know, the, the closer this match becomes, the the greater the chance for Kennan to win. Uh, becomes because mm-hmm. if Shroud Tech just keeps this straight up tennis, she's playing better, and I think she'll win. But as soon as this gets a little bit dicey, if they start trading a lot of breaks and getting into each other's you know service games really easily, things become tight. You know, you start to lean a little bit more toward the Kennen side because you mentioned it. She knows how to scrap that, plus the experience of her you know winning one of these titles. It's just. It, it, things things start to balance and become really really hard to separate out for me. Especially if this thing gets pushed to a third set, you know, then at that point we've already indicated that the level, you know, that the difference between these two isn't very much. And if the margins are that razor thin, you got to figure that that sort of experience of being at this stage starts to weigh even heavier and heavier.
0: Yeah, I that's why for our aces of the day tomorrow I took I think if the match is straight sets, it's gonna be a Schviantech win. I think that means her plays are working, that means she's comfortable on the court, she's doing her thing. But I do think Sophia Kennan, because she's such a scrapper, could absolutely extend this match to a third set. I mean, again, in four of her matches, they've gone the distance. You never count Sophia Kennan out and so I guess you know with that in mind that was my way of hedging but with that in mind the last thing I'll ask you to do on this podcast Jamie make a pick who do you got tomorrow Sviantek or Kennan give me a score line
1: yeah, I just can't go against uh, against Shvantec right now I just can't do it um, I, I was glad to say you know I won a little bit of money off of Kennan taking out Kvitova I think Svantec just another notch or two above the level of Kvitova right now and so I I gotta go I gotta go against the American Kennan in this one. Let's say Sriantek wins it four and two.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's tough because the second you say that, you're like, wait, I just picked the 19 year old against the Grand Slam champion. Right. Like I, I just keep coming back to that fact in my head. And, you know, all of these coaches or all of these inside industry people who you talk to over the time. And yeah, that was a humble brag. Uh, but who you talk to, they're like, it's all about, you know, what's going on in the six square feet in there, or however big their heads are. It's all what's going on within their head space. It's all what's going on in between the two ears. How do you mentally process things? How do you handle adversity? can you adjust when things are going wrong? And I'm not saying igush Svantec can't do all of those things, but Sophia Kennan a thousand percent can. That's the calling card of her success thus far early in her career. It's just you never count her out because of how many different ways she can hurt opponents, how many different ways she can find success on the court. That being said, I like you're right. Like, watch the tennis. Iga Swiatek has destroyed everyone in her path. And I'm with all due respect to Kennan, who, again, like, a perfect game plan. Exactly what she did against Kavitova, she's going to want to do against Sviantek. But I just think Sviantek's a better version of Kavitova right now. I don't know what Ken. you know, Swiatek moves better. She's a little bit more fluid off of both wings. Uh, and I just don't know what Kennan does to hurt her. Versus, I know what Iga's is going to do, and I guess if the game plan, uh, plan A is off for Iga, then she's in trouble. But I just, I think, I think I have to take. I'm with you. I think Svantek wins this in straight sets, and I think it's going to be like three and three.
1: Yeah. Well, hey, we've got the exact same game count, so I guess we'll see what happens. But yeah, I mean, yeah. bottom line, this was going to be on Svantek's racket. So if she's not playing well, yes, the door is open for Kenin to make this thing a scrap and really push it all the way the distance. But so I, I that's
0: just, the thing. I
1: I have no reason to think that Shvantec isn't going to show up and just beat her badly, because that's what she's done to everyone in this entire draw.
0: I agree with you, and I think if the match goes three sets, I favor Kenin in the third, and that's where live betting comes in, which, by the way, you yep. can do with our friends at DraftKings, but... I'm leaguing Chiantek because I agree with you. She has just looked so outstanding thus far. But, of course, we will be back here tomorrow to talk about that match and, of course, preview the men's final. And if you have missed any of our coverage from this French Open, be sure to go check out our website, CrackRackets.com. You can find our GSP Aces of the Day not only in podcast form but in video form as well. You can also find that on our social media where you can find daily updates as well, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. It's all at Rackets. You want to message me directly, I'm at Shot pod shout out as always to our super producers max Fleaker and daniel westoff for the f- of an editing job they do day in day out shout out as well to our friends at midwest sports and Aerobar. bar go to midwestsports.com use the promo code cr15 go to aerobar.com. use the promo code cracked 15 with that in mind james foster i want to give you the final word
1: yeah, last thing, a little bit sad. Uh, Svantec, I was really hoping, could become the singles and dubs champ. Unfortunately, she um, got knocked out of dubs today, 6-4 in the third, and a heartbreaker if you were watching it, a bit of a surprising result for me. But um, nonetheless, I still think she has the talent and is playing the level of tennis to win this thing. So at least she can get the redemption on the singles side.
0: Yeah, I say this all the time when we're talking, again, off mic about some of the GSP aces of the day that don't hit, but still a great take by you, still a good call. Like, again, I know she lost with Malikar, but there is no shame in that take.
1: Yeah, she was right there, man. That that first set, they lost in a breaker. The second set, yeah. they cruised in 1-6-1, and I was like, all right, we're looking good, and then just happened to drop the third set by a break difference and lose at 6-4. So, unfortunate to see, but yes, no shame in that one. Hey, Even if she loses tomorrow and it's a semi-final final final result, it's not a bad French Open for the 19-year-old.
0: You know, there are some outstanding props on DraftKings, and can I ask you, just to make a promise to both you and our listeners, tomorrow, can I come at you with my five favorite props for the men's final? I should have done this for the women's final. I apologize. I did not. But I know you have, uh, again, some family stuff to do tonight. Can I come at you with five props tomorrow that I love uh, for the men's final?
1: You go right ahead. I'll welcome all right. you with open arms.
0: All right. Well then, with that in mind, for my wonderful co-host who welcomes it with open arms, James Foster McDonald, our super producers Max Flickner and Daniel Westhoff, our friends at Midwest Sports and Aero Bar, and all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host Alex Gruskin. Jamie, what do we tell the people? That's a break. And we will see you all tomorrow. Enjoy the final, everyone.